Hi guys, welcome to the Fights Up Boxing Podcast. I'm Lukash, and um, yeah, a couple of excellent fights for for us this week. One that didn't turn out quite to be the war that we wanted, but still, you know, exciting turn of events is Lee Wood versus um, Mauricio Lara. And I will talk about a couple of other things in the card because I watched that. Um, and then I'll talk about um, Luis Neri versus Azat Hanissian, which turned out to be more of a war. Um, and that was an, you know, an excellent fight too. I won't talk about anything else of that card because I didn't watch any of the rest of the card. I didn't watch that fight live either, but nonetheless. Um, so yeah, a fair bit to talk about this week, so let's get cracking. So, Lee Wood versus Mauricio Lara. Um, it's quite an interesting one because, uh, you know, a lot of people expected Lara to kind of roll over him. I didn't, but um, then I didn't expect Lara uh, Wood to look as much of a better boxer as he did for most of it. But at the end, he still lost and he lost, you know, not by a fluke shot, but by, a, you know, him doing a thing he shouldn't have done against someone who fights like Lara does. So it was, you know... It was looking like a boxing lesson, and then he got a lesson of his own. Um, basically, we found out a lot about both uh, both fighters, and you know, there's a lot to learn from from the technique on show. Um, a lot, to, a lot to take away from it. Anyway, the story of the fight was basically from early on, apart from a moment in the second round where he did get tagged um, and hurt at the end of the round. Leewood was in basically in control, and he was managing to stop Lara. You know, Lara's normally very aggressive attacks. He was managing to put to stop most of those before they even took off, really. Um, which we'll, you know we'll get to the ins and outs in a second. And uh, and then you know that was getting it was getting more and more one-sided, and uh, Lara was looking more and more battered. Um, and then and then he wasn't. <laughs> and then he uh, they exchanged left hooks. They landed almost simultaneously, but Lara Lara, Lara just landed much harder. So. So he won. Um, Lee Wood did get up, but uh, Ben Davidson, the referee, wanted to let it continue, but Ben Davidson, his trainer, called it off. And, you know, at the time, it seemed like, you know, there was, what, five, six seconds left in the round. Maybe he could have let it continue. But Wood, you know, when you look back on it, Wood wasn't okay. And with the way Lara punches, it's, you know, it's completely fair enough. And, uh, you know, we will far prefer coaches to see coaches protecting their fighters than not protecting their fighters. And, uh, you know, um, Wood has since said that yeah, he's a he stands by his coach's decision. So you know, fair play. It was just one of those. You you get caught. You you have to deal with it. You know, sometimes the consequences are a are a stoppage even with five seconds left in the round. In any case, you know, no arguments about the result. Um, but how how did Wood to um, you know curtail Lara? Like, Lara came in with the reputation of an absolute madman. Um, you know, just a relentless aggressor, and he spent a lot of the fight not being able to be aggressive. And um, the reason for that, I did, I did see this coming. You know, I, I wrote two previews of this fight: one for one for us at the fight site, and one over on Bloody Elbow. Um, and I did call that Lee Wood is not the stick your head down, go you know, go head to head with your opponent and uh, and wail away type fighter. Um, yeah, I think well, I said this in in the previews. Um, I think the last half of the Mickey Conlon fight made people think that that was what he's going. You know, they kind of obscured what he normally does. Um, but what he normally does has always been sort of weird angles, trying to draw opponents onto his shots. Um, you know, stepping off um, and then trying to intercept them as they come in. And that was, you know, I always thought that would be his game plan, and it was going to be. 
useful against Nara because he likes to leap in. Um, it was always going to be dangerous, and you know that, that, that came into it later. But um, I didn't foresee it being this effective. He was very effective in uh, in just catching Lara before he could get anything off. Um, two reasons for that, really. I mean, there were lots of reasons for that. Two reasons on Wood's side, um, and there was another reason coming on Lara's side. The main reason uh, on Wood's side was first his jab was a lot better than I anticipated. Um, because I thought that uh, Lara would be dangerous off Wood's jab. He likes to throw off his opponent's jab. He uses it as a trigger, and he doesn't, you know, he doesn't give a shit, and he leaps in behind it. Um, but Wood used it in. Uh, Wood uses jab in twos and threes. You know, a, a busy jab to head and body, um, and he yeah, basically used it to dis- to distract and disguise what he's doing and to interrupt Lara's movement. Like he'd just leave it hanging for a second, and, uh, and Lara couldn't leap in behind it. Um, and then when he did, there was a shot coming behind it. Either either a straight right or a um, cuffing left, sort of a check left hook. It wasn't always check, but uh, most of the time it was a check hook. Um, which, that became a problem later on, which we'll talk about again when, when I talk about the end of the fight. But, um, but it was very effective. Um, you know, and it caught Lara off balance. He was constantly either catching Lara just as he began to move, so he was stopped in his tracks, or as he was sort of falling towards Wood. And um, the fact that Wood is longer than most of Lara's opponents was also, you know, the other factor, which, you know, often helps. Um, But that became a bigger advantage than I expected, and it it became that because of a big flaw that I didn't really spot in Lara completely. Um, In hindsight, maybe it should have been obvious. Um, and that is that Lara doesn't really move his head and his feet together. I did think that Lara has decent head movement before he punches. So like after after Lara punches, it's all out the window. Um, you know, defenses. He just doesn't give a shit. But before he punches, he has good head movement. He slips well, and he um, he likes to, yeah he likes to slip, and then you use that opportunity to counter. But the problem is that he doesn't move his feet while he's doing that, nor while he's jabbing. Really, he doesn't come close to his opponent. When his opponents are about the same size as him, that's generally been okay for him so far. You know, eventually it's going to land him in trouble anyway, but it's been okay for him so far. He's been close enough to leap in at them after they jab without um, without being in too much danger, without having to fall short and, uh, and then chase that up with another step or, a, you know, all of that stuff. He was just close enough to get close quickly. But against Wood, he found himself too far away. Um, he'd slipped the shots. You know, he slipped the double triple jab and maybe sometimes whatever flow up came. And uh he because he didn't step forward while he was doing that, he didn't find himself any closer to Lara, and then Lara would slide back uh, to Wood, and the Wood would just slide back, you know, which he's gonna do anyway. And uh, Lara found that a real problem, a real problem. Um you just it's just uh there's a disconnect there. So a little bit like um you know, anyone who <laughs> He follows me and knows knows I'm a fan of Anthony Yard, but um, you could see the difference in Anthony Yard um, in the first London Arthur fight until the first London Arthur fight. Basically, he didn't he never used to move his head along with his feet or his feet along with his head. He had decent head movement, always has done, you know, a little bit ropey, but that's true of Nara too. But he never moved forward while he was doing it while he was doing it proactively. And that left him stuck on the end of Midnight's jab. And then in the second fight, he just learned one quick step, two quick steps in while he was moving his head, while he was jabbing, and he fucking trucked Lyndon Arthur. And this is a thing. Um, Lara, it's not a difficult fix for Lara. Like, he's never going to become super polished. That's the reason why I raised, you know, I didn't, I didn't bring this up just to praise, 
praise Anthony Yard again. Um, it's not a difficult fix. It's not going to be something. He's 24. He's got time to learn this. Um, you know, there will be smoother or less smoother ways he can fix it. You know, he'll be better the the more polished he makes his fix, but um, but he'll become a much more dangerous fighter in this sort of fight. Um, just by you know, even the most basic stepping while slipping while uh, while with the proactive head movement is going on, it's it's not a tricky thing to do. I don't really know why he doesn't do it already, but um, but you know, things fall through, um, fall through the gaps, and uh, yeah, he needs to learn that. The other thing that will be much more difficult for him to learn is protecting his body because he doesn't he just absolutely doesn't and Wood was slamming him to the body he was working it with a jab he was working it with uh, you know hooks and shot, just straight shots to the body and just you know any time he could t- take the chance and again because Lara was walking in at him while he was taking the shots he was amplifying the power and um, you know Lara said afterwards he didn't he felt them but they didn't hurt him it's, uh, that is definitely a lie um, he, he wasn't moving well he was clearly favouring um, favouring his side like I think it was his right side I'm not 100% sure now um, but he's clearly favouring one side and I'm like, I'm pretty sure like, I'm not it could, could have been something else he hasn't spoken about it I'm pretty sure you saw a moment after the fight where um, Lara's trainer or one of his coaches one of his team tried to hoist him after he won and he was just like fucking let go of me you know just don't, don't touch me this fucking hurts um, so so he clearly felt something in, in that area and and that was a big part of the fight. Um, and, you know, that was, it all came together and to, together with Wood also, um, just adding a few more slick tricks. His head movement was better than I thought it would be. Um, just in the sense that, um, occasionally after he delivered a shot, he'd slide under something Lara was throwing and Lara's hooks tend to come in high. So, so um, when he did that, he'd, he'd do well. Um, yeah, it was just, it was looking like a really good performance, but then he made, one mistake, he hooked with Lara, and he didn't get out of the way. And this is something, I mean, I wrote a whole thing centred around this on the bloody elbow, but, um, so if you're interested in, you know, in my in-depth on this, but you're going to get it here anyway. Um, he didn't realise how tired he was getting, is my thought. You know, again, this will come, this is all my thoughts, I haven't interviewed <laughs> um, the word I'm mean, interviewed Ben Davison, but the, my feeling is he was throwing that check hook that, or you know, just even not worth, like I say, not worth a check hook, but mostly a check hook. He was throwing a hook and he was keeping himself safe. He was sliding out of the way, you know, whether it was a check hook or whether he just threw the hook and stepped back, he was getting out of the way, um, and it was doing quite well to to make Laura out of a balance even more. So, in that sense, it was a useful shot. It's not that he wasn't throwing, you know, that was a mindless shot that he shouldn't have been throwing. As the fight went on, his movement after after the shot got more and more laboured and less and less effective, and he got less and less far, far away, less and less safe. Um, but kind of slowly, by increments. And uh, and it eventually got to the point where he was just basically turning on the spot while hooking with Lara, um, which was a bad idea. And Lara, I think, spotted this. Um, you know, He hooks a lot anyway, Lara. You know. He's that kind of fighter, but I think he noticed, and he was he was going for the higher hand higher hand lift anyway. Like um, started throwing them whenever he thought Lara would hook, uh, whenever he thought Wood would hook. Um, and yeah, sometimes that got him in trouble because he had to leap forward to do it, and uh, when it wasn't hooked, when it was a straight, he um, he he walked into it hard. But yeah, it came it came good. He, he caught him while he was. That's basically what happened. Is Lara. Uh, 
Wood threw a hook as if it was meant to be a check hook, but he didn't pivot out of the way. He just kind of turned on the spot, which is a terrible idea. It just leaves you right in the line of fire, and that's why the shot was so hurtful. Um, and yeah, that was the end of the fight. Um, like in a lot of ways, it wasn't a complicated fight. It was never really going to be a technically complicated fight. Um, but it, yeah, it was super fucking dramatic. Um, you know, I, I likely would. Um, it's a shame he lost, but uh, but there we go. Um, what's next for both fighters? Probably a rematch. Um, Eddie Hearn said he has a rematch clause, but um, you know, we'll see if he reactivates it. But I suspect he will. Like, there's no reason for Wood to think that a loss in the, um, that he's guaranteed to lose a second fight. Um, you know, he was doing so well, even though, like I say, uh, Lara doesn't have to fix a lot to become way more dangerous to Woods in particular you know Wood has to think he has a chance and he has to think he has a chance of knocking Lara out because despite Lara's pretty good game phase and his claims afterwards he was hurt he was really badly hurt to the body and he took a lot of hard shots to the head as well um, so yeah it was, it's a, a rematch is an, ent- an enticing prospect but there are other things on the table most notably um, Lara and Josh Warrington absolutely fucking hate each other um you know, Lara's entry onto the scene was against Josh Warrington, um, who you know, clearly overlooked him. And then the second fight ended in a clash of heads, which Lara really didn't like. And then Lara, then um, Warrington got um, got a shot at the title before before Lara did, which Lara obviously was really angry about. And uh, and they've been talking at each other through the press since then. And Warrington was ringside. And uh, Lara, at the end of the fight, you know, one of the first things he did was he didn't leap out of the ring, he stepped out of the ring and uh, just gobbed on Warrington from from top of the ring apron. He just spat, spat down on him, which, you know, that's not classy. No matter how dirty a fight Warrington is, just don't do that, guys. And he boasted about it proudly in the interview. So if the Warren, if the Wood fight doesn't happen, if the rematch doesn't happen, um, a, three, a third match with Warrington... It's a really marketable fight for Lara right now, so so that's on the table. But even past that, for both of them, it's such a strong division now. It's so good. Um, like you've got um, you've got the other champions, um, Luis Alberto Lopez, who you know also beat Josh Warrington a few months ago, and uh, Ray Vargas, um, which you know both of those would be really good fights for either. Vargas having won was it last week? The week before, either way. Um, yeah, it was last week. You beat Shiki Fox Foster. Um, but you've also got Mark Maxeo, who's fighting um, Brandon Figueroa, who Figueroa, you know, maybe the best fighter in the division, maybe not, but he doesn't have a title. But they're fighting each other soon. That's going to be a hell of a fight. Um, and you've got Isaac Dogbe fighting fighting Roberto Ramirez. And for my money, Roberto Ramirez is probably the best fighter in the division. But that one's for a title. So that will be the third 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 champion the winner of that will be the third champion fourth champion in the division um so any of those would be really good fights for either of these fighters and then you've got you know the likes of um the the british the british scene is really strong you've got um charter dickens uh uh, nick ball is a fighter i really like um um, you know um the irish side michael connor and john o'carroll um just a whole bunch of fighters just really good just it's a really strong division and so there's you know there's no complaints uh hopefully there's no complaints going forward hopefully they 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 both get whatever it is it should be fun so the rest of the card um the main support act was dalton smith defending his british title against billy allenton and 
I rate Dalton Smith. I've talked about him before, and I like him. It was a weird performance from him. It, what, I can't say it was a very good performance. That Billy Allenton was levels below him. That was clear. He's a weird, awkward, tricky fighter. You do think that Dalton Smith should have been able to open him up sooner. It wasn't an, uh, a good fight to watch. It was pretty boring. Dalton Smith, the thing about Dalton Smith is he always does this. He always starts really slowly and then just adds one thing at a time, one thing at a time, one thing at a time. Like, makes really damn sure he's using it safely. And then he moves on to having the next thing. And in this case, it's just, he didn't, you know, he just it was so patient with it that uh, he was never in danger of losing, but it did get, you know, it got pretty dull. Um, and I do understand why people are now concerned about, uh, his potential, you know, move as he moves up to world level. Um, for me, the thing is, you know, there were already concerns, you know, there were already thoughts about him moving up to world level. He's always been a bit like this. This is the most extreme version, but he's always been like this. Um, and the things he's guilty of are being too careful, of being too patient, of being really over cautious against a guy. He, he could have opened up much easier, and I don't think it would have caused him, you know, harm. But, um, but uh, but that's not going to make him less likely to win fights at world level. Like the guys who might like he, the thing is the thought is that he's to take he's hiding either defects in either his chin or his defense, um, and that's why he's so overcautious. But even if that's true, the guys at world level or moving up towards world level who find those things out, um, they're going to push a fight towards him anyway. You would have thought. Um, the guys where their defense is really slick and all of that stuff, he's not going to be more likely to lose to those guys by being cautious. You know, he re- he was either going to lose lose anyway by getting countered, or you know, it's it's not going to make most world title fights less likely of him to win. It might make him a bit boring, but um, but I do feel that also that um, you know, what we're really going to find out, what's really going to be the tester of what Thomas Smith does as he moves up the levels, is when someone pushes in at him. Because um, because if someone's on the outside, it's just always what he's going to be like. And if he has to be a boring win, you know, it's not great for us, but it's fine for him. Uh, so, yeah, it was just, you know, I don't, I'm not going to talk about it for ages. It just wasn't a, it wasn't a great performance. Like he, he jabs well, he moves well. I would like to see him use more of his slick um, circling footwork in close that he has. But... Um, but he prefers to kind of lay down, sit down in the power and throw two or three shots at a time, and, you know. Um, we'll, we'll see. He's still developing. Um, he has, he does, there are things he has to improve, you know, don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying he's definitely going to hit world level, but, um, but yeah, it was one of those weird fights where despite being pretty disappointing, and I had kind of hyped him up before, it doesn't really make me more worried. It's just kind of like, you know, frustrating more than anything else. Um, what else is on the card? Gary Colley. Gary Colley is fucking ridiculous because he's a lightweight. He's 135 pounds and he's six foot two. That is insane. Um, and yeah, he, like it makes Sebastian Fedora look, you know, look like a normally proportioned guy for his weight. And the thing is, you again, like a bit like Fedora, you would have thought that a guy who with those dimensions and he looks, he's really skinny dude, um, would be a bit fragile and you know he might be fragile himself but he punches like a fucking truck he's he's on a firefight knockout streak and they're all you know big booming shots not you know they're the ones I've seen anyway um 
And he, the ones I remember, because I'm pretty sure I've seen all of them, but the ones I remember. Um, and uh, he's talking with Red Flores. It wasn't, you know, a big step up fight for him or anything. Um, but he does look like an interesting boxer. It'll be interesting to see how he does once he moves up to world level. Because um, he's pretty, you know, he's got some slickness to him. Um, he moves well. Um, and the thing about Get Cully is I don't normally like. Well, I don't always know, let's say. I don't always like bouncy boxers. It's a bouncy back and forth thing because um, it's the kind of movement... Like, he does the back, forth, back, forth, tick-tock, tick-tock. And it's the kind of thing where there's always a risk that uh, that you're always pushing off from the same place. And um, and so the, most of the movement is wasted a lot of the time. That's true. That may prove the case here, but I found, at least in this fight, he was using it pretty well. He'd throw shots of pretty much anywhere on the bounce. Um, so, um, so yeah, his opponent couldn't be sure when he was going to throw. Like, and you know, if he was, if he just bounced back and through, he's so fucking long. Um, his opponents aren't safe wherever they are, so he can throw <clears throat> while having just bounced back and uh, and still catch his opponents. You know, still he'll have moved out of his opponent's range without without moving out of his own range, um, and that makes him useful. Um, and he's got nice combinations. He's got nice. Uh, a nice imagination and attack. Like there's a lot to test. There's a lot to see as he moves up the levels. But um, but it was you know he's a promising fighter. Um, Chevron Clark versus Israel Dufus. Um, Dufus was a late notice replacement because Dick Spellman had to sadly um, retire. Um, there was an issue with his brain scan in preparation for the fight, I believe. Um, so Dufus came over on short notice. Um, moved up to cruiserweight for the fourth night. He did really well, Dufus. Um, he. He um he's kind of big athletic movement sort of fighter, like reflex based, um but he has, you know, nice hard shots. Um Siobhan Clark handled him well. Siobhan Clark is a sharp fighter, um you know, pretty decent, aggressive fighter, does nice tight nice timing, always intercepting uh Dufus's movement a lot. But um yeah, you know, he won pretty comfortably. There was a point, I think it was in the sixth or seventh round, where you really could have argued for a stoppage. In fact, I think the referee should have stopped it. But then afterwards, um, afterwards Clark gassed, basically. And um, and Doofus survived to the end without any serious problems. And it wasn't one where I was screaming at the telly, at the computer, for them to stop the fight. It was just a bit... Um, it was just a bit of a ghosting. And that is the concern, is that Fraser Clark is 32. And he gassed out hard in a 10 round fight where he was controlling the tempo basically all of the way now he wasn't you know it's Gonzalez uh, Dufus gave him a good fight but he didn't push the tempo on him so Clark shouldn't have been gassing out and he gassed out about like, four rounds from the end um, that is going to be an issue in a, in a cruiserweight division that among the Brits is so strong he can't afford to be like that and he's 32 like you can there are ways to fix it both in terms of learning management and in terms of just physically getting better at it, but it's going to be a real problem. Like, there were so many things that he did that looked good, but he'd have to win all of his fights by knockout early, and it's you know it's, he's going to struggle. Like imagine him against Chris Billum Smith. If he doesn't knock him out in the first three rounds, he's he's in real trouble. So I do think that puts a limit on him. But he's going to be a fun fighter to watch, and you know he's going to be British level at least. You would have thought um, he's not going to be around for too long because he's thirty two, but he's you know. He, you know, say a young 32, so 
So there's that. The only other thing I want to talk about is Gamaliel Fai. Um, you know, he hasn't, he's kind of lived off the reputation of his brothers, which is a bit harsher, a bit of a harsh thing to say. But like, he was never that good. But he was fighting Diego Alberto Ruiz, who has been over to the UK a lot. And yeah, he basically got his ass kicked. And this was one where we were screaming at the ref, you know, it should have been stopped a lot earlier than it was. Um, yeah, Fai's corner, um, kept talking about it. Um, it was, um, Oh, take it's Jamie Moore, and he kept telling if I, you know, if you don't shape up, I'm going to stop it. But he didn't, and he should have, and so should the ref, really. But you know, not too much to say there. Um, but the only one other guy I want to mention is Janae Boston, who um, I feel like I'd seen him before, like I've seen the name, but it hadn't registered with me. Um, but he is a Grant Smith trained fighter, like um, like Dawson Smith, who is his son, and like Sonny Edwards, and that is a really good gym. And he's looking like a sharp fighter. He's starting to be a guy who kind of is, is an in-and-out in and out boxer, outside counterpuncher type fighter, but he throws in combination, he throws hard, and he's a slick mover, which you know, all of Dalton Smith's fighters, all of Grant Smith's fighters are slick movers in one way or another. And yeah, he's, be, he's beginning to look like a well-put-together package. He's only, I think he's 20, and he's only 4-0. Um, so he's one to look out for. 5-0 um, now after that fight. Oh yeah, and Sam Maxwell fought and won, and he should be fighting Dalton Smith next, but Dalton Smith got cut, so it might not be in April like they planned. Anyway, that's that for the card. I'd better move on, because I'm starting to lose my voice. Um, so, Luis Neri versus um, Azat Ovanissian. And Luis Neri won in the, uh, was it the 11th round? It was, referee, you know, he got he took a big shot, and uh, he'd already taken one earlier uh, in the round before, at the end of round 10. And he looked kind of recovered, but he took a big shot on Warboard about midway through round 11, and the ref went enough. Um, and until then, it had been a really good fight, a really good war, um, which really fed into the thing of Luis Neri. The thing about Luis Neri is this. A lot of boxing fans don't like him very much, including me, and a lot of that, a lot of that does go all the way back to um, the Shinsu Yamanaka fights, which was back in, what, 2018 now? So... Um, yeah, seventeen and eighteen, and uh, the way he handled that was bad. Like he, uh, he got he popped um, for I think it was for a diuretic after the first fight where he um, he won in TK four, um, and he, yeah he popped for a diuretic and he didn't get banned because it was a uh, considered no fault tainted meat. But then in the second fight, um, he just didn't even bother trying to make weight, which is like. It feels like if you're taking a diuretic and then suddenly you can't make weight anymore, it's hard to claim that was an accident. And so he didn't even bother trying to make weight and he knocked out Yamanaka in two. It's Yamanaka's final fight. Yamanaka is a bit of a, you know, um, it's just a really cool fighter. And we've held that against him. You know, let's, <laughs> let's not be around the bush. We've held that against Neri since. And just the fact that he hasn't seemed very disciplined with his weight and that he hasn't had any egregious like bad guy moments since then, but he just hasn't ever felt very disciplined. And so he hasn't really worked his way back into the good books. But setting all that aside, he's a fun fighter to watch because he is, he fights like a slick outboxer. He fights like he like he's an outside, out, a back foot combination boxer. And he fights like he's a slick defensive fighter. Um, but also with a lot of attack, his attacks are really good. His, his combination punching, he's really good, but he's not, that good defensively. He fights like he is, but he isn't. And that just makes him really entertaining. Because um because if his opponents are winning, it makes it gets him into wars. And, you know, Hoffanissian was winning. Um yeah, so 
So you had a, a fighter, and the thing about Neri, he fights well in both directions. And um, Hoffenissian isn't like a really aggressive fighter, but he's also he switches it up, he switches angles, he switches stances, and he does go on the back foot if he need if he feels he needs to. So it was a back and forth fight in all respects. Um, and yeah, the thing about Neri is he has, like I say, his attacking, his combination, his punching is good. He's good. Uh, it's sharp, accurate, straight punches. Um, Good imagination, good, good, um, good shot selection. Like he's got a really good arsenal of punches, and he picks them well when to throw ball. Um, and he was really um, putting on Hovhannisian early on. Like it was really uh, just the slight rawness in Hovhannisian's movements. Um, he's not too dissimilar to Lara. Um, just the slight rawness, and he does move while he's throwing. Like a huge difference between between them there. He does move while he's setting up his shots. Um, but he has a rawness to his movement. He's not technically punished of Anissian, like at all. Um, and so early on, the fact that uh, that Neri's punches were all cleaner, straighter, they were, he was beating of Anissian to the punch. And because he was looping his shots, he wasn't set up to, yeah, his guard wasn't set up to take them. And his head movement, you know, he kind of takes himself off line, but he's not snipping any shots. He hasn't got the balance for it because he's doing all these weird movements. Um, but he doesn't stop. He always coming forward, and he always, even though, and partly because he's landing these really, he's throwing these really weird shots. Um, Neri couldn't avoid them, even while his own shots were landing with seemingly more effect. He couldn't avoid the things that were coming back, like a lot of the weird ganky shots, and um, and they did start to take a toll. And they were both focusing on body work a lot, um, but um, often they said it was clearly a plan, and it was a plan based almost definitely on. Um, on Neri's only loss, where he kind of melted against Figueroa, um, Brandon Figueroa, a few, um, or two years ago now, um, just under two years, um, where he, where Neri was early on, um, dominating that fight, and then he just kind of lost stamina and couldn't keep it up. And this is the thing about Neri and his defense. He fights like a stick boxer, but he's incredibly reliant on the power of his punches, the intercept, the interrupting power of his punches to stop his opponents in his tracks so that he can move away. Now his move is nice, but he doesn't move well enough that uh, if his opponent isn't bothered by his punches, he can get out of the way. It's a re- reasonably common problem in this, but, um, but yeah, and um, and Hoffenissen was kind of banking on that. It did mean he had to walk through those punches, but he was kind of banking on that. And as the fight went on, went on it did start to tell. Like um, It never turned like, completely one way or the other. It was never that one fight or another was completely fucking dominant. But, um, but Hoffenissen was starting to sort of come into it. But he had to take risks to do it, and he's not about keeping himself safe. And Neri punches just a little bit too hard, and eventually, at the end of the 10th, he caught him big, and then at the end of the 11th, he caught him again and knocked him out um, but it was a really good fight it's a fight for your candidate um, for now I th- it, was, it would probably be you know but every year was really damn cool like this but um, this is probably the most non-stop action like, of the big fight so far um, so in that respect it's just yeah good fight worth watching and this is, the thing about Neri is again he's a good fighter to watch as well as being exciting because of the aggression and lack of defense he's just a good showman like he kind of leans into his bad guy reputation and he just he's constantly mean not mean mugging but he's constantly playing to the crowd or against the crowd he's 
trying to play the ref. He's talking to his opponent in the ring. Um, he's, he's, he's mugging his opponent. He's, it's just a good showman. So even though I don't particularly like him, he's good fun to watch. Um, it's entertaining and he knows who he is. Um, yeah, it's good. Um, and he's only 12, what, 28, I think, which I hadn't realized. So, so maybe there's a redemption arc in there somewhere. Like, you know, I kind of came out with this, of this with a kind of grudging respect for him, not just as a boxer, but as for the way he handles himself as the bad guy. You know, I like a pantomime bad guy and it kind of leans into that. So yeah, fair play to him. Um, and this division is also, if I, uh, he's a super phantom. So, you know, um, not going on here. Stephen Fulton is the champ champ. Uh, Neri is kind of the second guy, but now Inoue is coming. Now Inoue is coming. I don't think Neri is good enough to be him, but um, you know, he may he may be. Uh, you've got Ahmed if you've got John Rocasimero, who is, you know, fuck him, but uh, he's there. It's a good division. There's a lot going on, so hopefully something good comes out of it. Um, anyway, yeah, that's that. And that's that for the week. I am looking at this week's fights. Um, for the upcoming week um, nothing huge coming Jake Paul versus Tommy Fury fuck that I don't give a shit um, there is some real boxing um, Super Amateurs versus Jeremiah's Ponce um, was that I think that was meant to be Broner's return but uh, yeah this uh, Matthias versus Ponce is now for an IBF title uh, you know it's not a big fight and that's kind of I think, yeah it's not a huge weekend I may not end up doing a preview because well I'm not doing a preview of Paul versus Fury yeah. I'll, if I've got anything to talk about, I'll see you next week. If not, I'll see you the weekend, the week after, where we are heading into um, March, and that will be much stronger. So, um, yeah, thanks for listening. Um, follow me at Crafty Boxing. Follow the fight site at the fight site. Follow the fight site on Patreon. You know, join us, help us. Uh, and uh, yeah, see you next time. As always. Have a good one.